Welcome to this week's Kingdom Living. I'm uh, the Reverend Brooke Ashley. I'm Justin Stacy. And I'm Justin Bowling. Let's take a minute and pray, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. So this week, Brooke, we decided that we are going to, I guess, reflect on 9-11. It is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we're recording a day before. 9-11, but when this comes out, it's going to be a couple days after. But uh, yeah, we I think we wanted to reflect on our, our faith, how 9-11 impacted that, and it really answered the question, where were we when the world stopped turning that September day? Thanks, Alan. Yep. <laughs> so I know that y'all were in school, so if y'all want to start, you young whippersnappers. Sure. Youngest first. Why don't you go about, go, about, go along? Sure. So uh, I was in ninth grade after I finally got my grades corrected when I thought about this. But yeah, I was in ninth grade. I was in computer aided drafting class, I remember. And uh, I remember the gym coach coming in and he he came in and he said, we had a TV in our room that was hanging up. And he said, you have to turn on the TV. And this was right after the first plane had hit. And so he turned it on and it was like uh, uh, 30 seconds or less after he turned it on when the second plane runs into the tower and so we got to see that one live and you know it was a weird age for me i felt like it was like i was old enough to kind of understand that this was a big event and this was going to affect things for the rest of my life but it also i was still young enough that it didn't fully set in you know how you know somber of a thing it was that i was watching at the time but that was basically how the whole school day went as we sit there and we watched tv in every class as we went through each day as we went through the day and as the day went on, it did kind of settle in a little bit more that, you, you know, this is, this is kind of crazy. This is unprecedented in a lot of ways. And it, by the time I went home that day, I had a very different feeling about what I did that morning. Cause that morning it was kind of like, well, this is insane. You know, like I've never seen anything like this, but by the end of the day, it was a lot more like, you know, this was, this is going to change people's lives and ended a lot of people's lives. And, a lot of things are not going to be the same that I've took for granted, you know, up until this point. So, yeah, it, it was an odd age for that to hit, but it's definitely something I remember vividly until, you know, up until this day. Yeah, I was in. It was either homeroom or the whatever our first block was. I, I think it may have been English, and I remember the teacher got word that something had happened and she turned on the TV that was in there and we just started watching the news. And that was when the first tower was hit. And I, I remember we were all speculating because at the, at the time when the first tower was hit, th there was still no confirmation that it was a terrorist attack. It wasn't until the second tower was hit that we realized, Oh my goodness, this has to be a terrorist attack. So I, I can remember just a bunch of us speculating, you know, how could anyone, how could any pilot be that terrible? Like, did, did they have a seizure? Did they, something crazy happen to where they just flew into the building accidentally? That was kind of what was on our, on our mind. And I guess that's what we were hoping. 
Um, but you know, I was at age of 15. So this was the first real, I guess, big event that changed everything. I mean, it was the first time that I really feared anything. You know, before then, I felt like my parents could pr protect me from anything. You know, there was no real danger. But then when something like this happened, and it's a terrorist attack, and you see how many people inevitably was going to die when those buildings crashed, that I, I, I had a sense of fear that day. And I think everyone did. I remember the uh, gym teacher that day was going around and, uh, you know, he was a really religious guy and he was, he was going around saying that this is the apocalypse. This is the beginning of the apocalypse. That's what he was saying and telling us kids. And, uh, you know, I didn't know a lot about the Bible then. I just become, well, let's see, did I, I hadn't even become really a, I guess, baptized Christian yet. I was somewhat, I was going through, I was in church and I was starting to learn about things, but I had not been baptized yet. I had not accepted Christ yet. I had not, you know, had that relationship yet. So this was before any of that. So I, I really didn't know a lot other than just pop culture stuff on Revelation and, and the apocalypse. But when he started saying stuff like that, that of course put the, you know, fear of God in all of us that, oh my gosh, this actually could be it. And so that was on my mind that day too. So I, all I remember about that day is, you know, being glued to the TV and just being fear, fearful of my life, that this could, this could result in, in somehow endangering me and my family, even though uh, you know, that's a, we're a far cry from Washington, D.C. or New York. It just, it, I felt unsafe that day. And I felt unsafe for quite a while after that. So that that's how 9-11 changed me that day. I will add that uh, as a precursor to 9-11, I, I actually visited New York City in July of 2001. And it was on an upward bound trip. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, getting to see all of the, the, the landmarks of New York City, Twin Towers being one of them. And I was about to ask, did you saw the Twin Towers in July of the same Yeah, I, I did. And I, I don't remember if, like, I don't actually have a picture of them. And that's the thing. I thought for sure that I took a picture of them because we took, like, the, the ferry boat thing to uh, the Statue of Liberty. And, of course, you could see the Twin Towers. Great doing that. So I don't know why I didn't take a picture of it, but I went through all of my photos, could not find any photo of it. So unfortunately, I just did not take any photos. But I, this I'm was confident. before cell phones were ambiguous. So right, a, right, yeah, yeah we, I, it would have been those throwaway cameras, you know. So I, I did get to see it, though. You know, I, I got to, I got to view it, so I felt blessed to be able to see such a sight. You know, because they they were it's a, it was a marvel, really. But i don't know like it, it definitely changed me it it added a level of fear to my life that i hadn't had before well it was a tuesday if i remember right and um aaron and i i was not in school i was already married with two children 
Um, I was about 26 years old and um, we were both home. My great grandmother's funeral was that day. She had passed away a few days before. And so we were both home. We had sent Anna, our oldest, down to Aaron's mom's in Knoxville because we knew we were having the funeral and we didn't want to tag along a toddler and all that kind of stuff. And so we were getting ready and um, my mom called and said, you need to turn the TV on. I'm hanging up so I can watch. And I thought, okay. So I turned the TV on in our bedroom and Aaron was in the shower and I was sitting on the edge of the bed and kind of like you all, the first tower had already been hit. And I was watching as the second tower got hit and my dad called and I guess he was at work maybe, or I can't remember anyway, to make sure I had the TV on. So we were watching and I hollered Aaron and he came out of the shower and um, they were doing all the speculations, you know, what it could be. It was a terrible accident. Um, And Aaron got back in the shower because we still had the funeral to go to when the first tower came down. And I was screaming and yelling for him. And um, it was during this time that they started talking about being a terror attack, possibly because the Pentagon had gotten hit and they start listing possible targets for the next attack. And the Y-12 plant in Knoxville was on that. I remember that. Yeah, I absolutely remember that. And that is where Aaron's dad worked. Um, and that was where my kid was and I couldn't get there. So my sister, my brother-in-law was in the military and he was in the army. So they were based in Kansas. And I don't know if y'all remember, but all the cell service went down, the long distance phone calls went down and we were having trouble getting through to them. The base got locked down. There was no communication coming in or out. Um, so we were just all kind of dumbfounded but we still had a funeral to go to. So not only were we watching the tragedy unfold for the nation, but we had our own personal kind of tragedy that we were dealing with at the time. So we get ready to go out. And I'll, this is funny, the things that you remember, my car wouldn't start. My battery had died. And so here comes my dad to get us. And it was me and Aaron and Abby. She was still in an infant carrier car seat. And so we lived out in Piney Flats, Tennessee, out by the lake near the airport. And to get back to my mom and dad's, we had to go by the airport. And I absolutely love planes and the airport. And we can talk about that more in detail later. But um, so I know the airport, like I know what it's supposed to look like. I know all those things. And I'll never forget going past the airport and seeing the huge 747s, those kind of things parked on the tarmac at Tri-Cities Regional Airport, knowing they shouldn't be there. And living where we did, we were in the flight path of the planes. And so for days and days and days, you had no planes. And I can remember the first plane going overhead and honest to goodness, having a a flat panic attack, like thinking, what is that? So that that was for a while, but so we went to the funeral in the middle of the day and this was before you had smartphones. And so you weren't getting text updates or whatever. So I remember sitting in the funeral for my grandmother being present in the moment, but also wondering what in the heck was going on in the world. Um, and, and being feeling disconnected and, um, just, I don't know, that sense of fear 
And my dad, Lord love him. He is a boy scout through and through always be prepared is his motto. And, um, so I can remember when they started rolling out, you know, I don't know if y'all remember this, but how to seal your house up. And, and y'all, y'all may remember that that may have been more of an adult thing. So my dad made sure we all had all the five milliliter plastic and the duct tape, and we knew how to do all of that. Um, but for the first time in my life, I felt very insecure, ended up like tons of Americans having to go on anxiety medication because of just the sheer anxiety of, of watching that happen. Um, and doing that now years later, it was probably five or six years ago now, Anne and I had the opportunity to go to New York. That's where uh, Global Ministries was headquartered for many, many years and so we did all of our training and big meetings there. And so I took Anna with me one year and we toured the 9-11 museum. And um, if you haven't done that and you have the opportunity to go to New York City, you need to do it. Like it is. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you been? Have you got to do yeah, it? Yeah, me and Sarah have went. And like the whole Ground Zero memorial stuff is so, I, I swear, like the decibel level lowers when yeah it's so everybody. quiet I mean mm-hmm. you're in the middle of New York City where it's so loud all the time and you get to ground zero and it's just like this quiet lack of better work just very peaceful place almost so um but I can remember my dad saying things at the time like you know people had to be jumping for their lives and you know, when you're at the 9-11 museum, if you choose to, you can watch the videos of folks. And I think the video that struck me the most when I was watching the videos and folks were commentating on them were the people who talked about watching people jump from the floors above them and watching them go past them. And they were talking about how the ladies were holding their skirts down. Like why you would think to hold your skirt down <laughs> when you, you know, so I just, I thought that was really strange. Um, but, but that's kind of where I was. Uh, and Aaron was on staff at a, a large church in the area and Tuesday morning was their staff meeting. And I can remember us talking about, we need to call them and have them turn the TVs on. So by the time we got back from all the funeral activities, the church was really in high gear. Like people were just showing up like we just opened the doors to the sanctuary and people just flooded in. I mean, people who didn't go to church, people who we didn't know, just they needed a place to gather. They needed a place to come to feel comforted. And I can remember praying with those folks, not even knowing really what to pray, right? Like, and being totally and utterly exhausted because of the sheer grief of of the community. And I can remember this particular church has this beautiful altar area that has uh, stained glass windows way above it. So they have like skylights, if you will, that have um, stained glass and they have this massive cross hanging there. I, I don't know how big it is. It's huge. And when we came into church on Sunday morning, this was after days of just people showing up. Somebody had put two huge American flags behind the cross so that they looked like they were coming out of the cross. Now 
I have significant theological issues with that, you know, um, but I remember walking into that sanctuary and just losing it, like just absolutely losing it. Um, but it was just such a hard, hard time. Like, and I've been watching some documentaries. I still have to be careful about watching a lot of documentaries and stuff because I feel that anxiety brewing in me Yeah, for sure. Um, but this week, and I think it was actually Hillary Clinton was doing an interview and she talked about how, oh, and, and I've been to the um, museum or the memorial at the Pentagon too, which is equally beautiful. Um, and they do some really neat things with some benches and different things for children. But anyway, but um, she was talking about how she watched it on television, you know, like we all did. And then she and the other senators and Congress people from, for New York flew up to New York the next day. And she talked about how eerie it was to be the only plane inside and some other stuff. But she said that television kind of whitewashed the scene. And when you flew, they landed at LaGuardia and then took a helicopter to ground zero. She talks about when she first came upon it and saw the sheer devastation and she said, you literally could not breathe because you can't fathom how big and how awful that it looked. And I thought about for those of us who lived that through the screen, how differently our experiences were than the people who saw firsthand, you know, um, but that struck me. This yeah, week. I was watching a documentary just the other day. And one of the things that they talked about is like just the amount of bodies that would have been on the street around the towers that had jumped or that like uh, apparently uh, when the the plane crashed both with both cases some of the the plane came off and landed on people that was out you know out mm -hmm. and about and so there would have been devastation on the street and that's things that we didn't get to see on camera right in this documentary it was a lady who worked in the marriott and she said that they were hearing thumps and some of the firemen came in and said, do not, you know, and it was people jumping, but they talked about the people getting killed by the people jumping, like, you know, and I thought, I don't, I don't know that I had a really thought about that until just yesterday when I was watching that documentary and I was like, oh, that would, that, oh, you yeah. know, I can't imagine the sheer horror that those people would have been in to have to really choose to, between being burned to death or jumping to your death. Either way you're dying, you know that. Right. Which one, and then, you know, in one in one case, you're not really taking your own life. In the other, other case, you might feel that you are. That had to be the most painful suffering. You know, I, I just, I can't imagine. And I, I can remember this was probably the only time that, I would have considered myself very patriotic. And now, of course, I have, as you say, theological reasons to, to kind of sheer against that because of things that we see. But post 9-11, I was very patriotic. Like I was buying anything American flag you can see, you can think of. I had my Beretta. So I, that was my first vehicle that dad got me was a Beretta. I had it decked out in 9-11 stuff. It had the twin towers in the back seat. I, I was just full on patriotic. And I, and I remember supporting the war completely. You know, 
I was full on. I was even thinking in my head, you know, maybe I need to serve. Like maybe this is something that I need to do. And again, I wasn't really a practicing Christian then. This this uh, this was before that point. So I was trying to get through this really on my own. I, I didn't have the relationship with God to get to get me through this. So I was trying to get through it on my own and figure these things out. And yeah, I, I went through a very patriotic. I was very pro Bush during that couple years. And I felt like, you know, we need to go to war and we need to stamp these people out. I can remember, and, and that was, you know, I was experiencing hate. I, you know, I felt like it was p- just pure patriotism and, and wanting justice. But what it really was is I now see these people as enemies, all of them. You know, uh, all, all of the Muslim, American, uh, Arabic-looking people, I was entering that mind frame that these are our enemies. And that's a scary place. And I think yeah, a lot of America went there. There's nothing to bond us together like a common enemy, right? Yeah, um, and that's, I think that's the reason why that is one of the most you know, unifying times we had in America, at least in modern times, because we had a common enemy. Yeah, I mean, talking to people who lived through World War II and Pearl Harbor, I think there was a lot of the same kind of sentiment and feeling after that, that they saw after 9-11. I think for me, that was the first time that I really had to wrestle with what it would mean to love my enemy. Like up until then, my enemy was some other mama who was bad mouthing me at the mops group, right? Which is mothers of preschoolers, by the way, you know, I mean, that was kind of my extent of an enemy, right? I mean, I didn't have anybody who really wanted to do harm to me. I mean, maybe hurt my feelings or maybe be jealous, but not harm. And so I really wrestled with this. Like I really wrestled with what you, what is an appropriate response? Like, is it okay to go on the offensive? Is it, what does it mean to follow Christ and yet want revenge at the same time? Um, and I think too, I was on the train of let's just wipe them out. I mean, you know, wipe them all, wipe it all out, wipe everybody out. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, it's taken me, it took me a while to get to where I didn't see everybody painted with the same brush, if you will. Um, at the same time, as we're dealing with the trauma of the actual attacks, we were also dealing with the terror, if you will, of the military spinning up because of our family members that were in the military. And so we knew what it meant to go to war, like, you know, and I can remember making care packages for soldiers and, and sending them to my brother-in-law's platoons. And, um, he did several tours in the sandbox and we've had other family members do that too. And and one of my family members, um, I actually was with when it was announced that Osama bin Laden had been captured and I will never forget the look on his face when that was announced. And cause it was announced and we hollered, he wasn't in the room and he came in and And it was like he grew six inches, like the relief off his shoulders. And he started talking about how many 
caves he had gone in and how many well covers he'd flipped over looking for people. And, um, you know, just that trauma along with, I mean, it just, it's been 20 years of trauma over and over again. Um, so I don't know, but, but that really, that love your enemy, like, what does it look yeah. like? Like, when mosques were being attacked, I can remember thinking this, this doesn't feel right to me. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I, I still I think, some, I think I we still struggle stats. with that. I read some stats that between t- the year 2000 and 2009, uh, hate crimes on Muslim Americans went up by 500%. Yeah. And I mean, that's insane because and it, they said for other groups, it actually went down 18%. So again, it's just reaffirming that we had a common enemy and everybody was just targeting, you know, these, these people, but it, I mean, it's obviously wrong. It's just terribly wrong, but we, I think we all just struggle to figure out number one, that, number one, we should not be looking at everybody in with a broad brush as an enemy. That's right. regardless of what they look like or where they're, you know, originally from or anything like that. We, we need to get away from painting broad brushes. That's the first thing. But even when we do look at, so Osama bin Laden, you, you, you said when, when he was, when he was killed and they, the announcement that he was killed, I can remember that Obama making that announcement that, you know, he had been killed. And I remember being so happy standing up and clapping cheering so happy cheering cheering and it was you know years later that i looked back on that and i think i even made a facebook post just being so happy that this man was finally dead and then i look back on that you know later when i'm i guess a little more mature in my christianity and i'm actually thinking more about loving neighbors loving enemies and things like that and i'm thinking Celebrating someone's death, is that ever loving your enemy? And I don't, it, you know, in a, in a sense, it feels like justice is served. And justice is, of course, you know, a, a holy thing. But for for death, the ultimate penalty, is it ever good for us Christians to celebrate someone dying? Yeah, I th- I've struggled with that. And, you know, here's where I kind of come down on this. There was a lot of evil in that. There was a lot of evil. Um, I think that's something as the church, we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, you know, we've, the three of us have talked about if we want to talk about just war and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I think about what would have happened had we captured Osama bin Laden, put him in jail. I mean, you know, there would have been a lot of evil that, that happened. Um, but I can remember being glad thinking that, well, we can kind of move on now that this chapter is over, you know, check the box, this ends it. But I can remember my family member saying, this is just the beginning. Like, this is just the beginning and oh, how he was right. You know, oh, how he was right. So I really thought I've really spent a lot of time too reading and thinking about why is it that America's hated so much? Like, how can you get so much hate in your heart for a group of people that you would do these things? 
you know. And I think one of the things that's helped me really wrap my mind around that is how other cultures perceive Americans. And that was through some of my missionary service work, but also really listening to some of Abby's friends who are foreign, you know, they're from other countries, talk about America's not what they expected or Americans aren't what they expected, you know, and we don't do ourselves a favor. (laughs) I mean, we're pompous people. Um, So I don't know, but. Yeah, and I know we said, like you mentioned, we we didn't really want to go down the full just war uh, rabbit hole. But uh, one of the tenets of it is that you know, like your response isn't uh, in excess of what it needs to be, type of thing. Right. And so, like, if you are responding to an evil that was done, which is a true evil that we're talking about here, of like that doesn't mean it has to go down the route of like Justin was talking about discriminating against every person that looks like a Muslim that it may not even be a Muslim. Cause I, I know that there's some other stats too, Justin, that's talking about like, and I'm forgetting the, the name of the religious group, but it's a, an Indian religious group. That's a subset of the Hindu religion that they're not even Muslim, but they, they dress in a way that kind of looks like Muslims and they, their uh, rate of discrimination against and attacks of hate crimes rose significantly during that same time period too. So it was more about like what we can, visualize and sense at a you know very easy level that we decided that okay well anybody who looks like the people who attacked us we're going to uh, respond in kind against and and that uh, I, that's kind of like where i think as a christian we kind of have to draw the line and be like there's a difference between responding to an evil because we have to respond to an evil versus like i, I feel this emotional response that i, I need to get retribution or vigilante justice against these people who have done a wrong and otherwise and, and if you go down that road that's that's the problem with the eye for an eye thing that christ was talking about you know like there's no end to that it's always going to revolve around to where the other people that you responded against like Berg was talking about they're going to see you as the evil now and they're going to respond in what they feel like's kind and that's the the hope that christ gave us that we can put an end to that and if, if we respond that way, that's, that's not what we should do as a Christian. So the question I've always wrestled with is there's me turning the other cheek, right? I mean, there's me and, and and we've talked about this. Um, I'm not quite a pacifist, but pretty close, but I recognize the need for a strong military as a country. And, and there's a difference between me turning the other cheek and us making a decision as a country that puts all of us in jeopardy. And I think turning the other cheek in those kind of situations puts us at risk for lots of lots more attacks. Um, right. I, I think it's the balance that like, if you're looking at it, maybe even from your family's point of view, like you have a responsibility, like maybe, like you said, personally to turn the other cheek to whoever's attacking you, but you also have a responsibility to protect your children and other people that you have, you know, um, uh, relationship with. And so like, you have to balance both of those in, in that case, if you're, if there's some kind of action that's going to affect others. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like as a country, that means you always have to turn the other cheek, you know, to use quotation marks, because you also, as a country, have the responsibility to protect those who can't protect themselves. Yeah. So that's actually a tenet of, 
Christian hospitality, right? Is the fact that you have to protect the people that are kind of in your circle. So um, part of Christian hospitality says when you've already committed to a group of people, it's your responsibility to keep those people safe. So sometimes you have to exclude or push out people who would harm that community. Um, and that right. is part of, of that idea of Christian hospitality. And it, it's a hard one. I mean, this is a big deal on a national level, but it's also hard when you're just thinking about your family. Like there are things that I would do to protect my family that I probably wouldn't do if it was just myself. Yep. You know, and this is just on a bigger scale. Um, yeah, so, I've actually had that discussion with with my wife Renee about, you know, if, if someone broke in our home and was threatening her, then I do believe that I could take their life. I, mm -hmm. you know, that would be what I would need to do to protect her. But if they were just threatening me, I don't think I could, you know, I, I think I would prefer them to take my life like before I would be willing. So, you know, I, I think I, I see what you're saying. Like, I'm, I'm in the same mind frame. I'm, I'm, I'm for the most part a pacifist. And, you know, I, I've often thought about this. Well, at least in my more uh, later years here, that if there was ever a draft, I don't like my mentality on war now, mm -hmm. I don't know that I could serve. Like I, I just from a Christian standpoint, I don't know that I could go in knowing I'm going to be taking lives, knowing that actions that I do could cause innocent life loss as well. I just don't know that I can, I want that responsibility. And I, and I feel like it would, I would be, I, I would believe that I'm committing a sin by doing it. So, you know, that's sort of my belief now. Now, you, if you had told me back when I was 15 or 16, I'd sign me up for military, I would have done it <laughs> right? <laughs> because I was, I was ready to, to go to war and for that effort. So, you know, I, I've definitely changed my mind and grown a lot in that aspect, but it's, it's a hard thing to, to get around and, and balance your, you know, your, your Christian beliefs, your modeling Christ, your self-sacrifice, your loving neighbor, your <laughs> loving enemy. And then on the other hand, protecting the ones you love, protecting your country. You know, I, I just think it's a hard thing to balance myself. I do think it's a hard thing. I think we get in the weeds when we talk about there being this God-given right for the United States to exist. Like when we start talking about our country as being better than a country that is predominantly Muslim, for example, because we're Christian and they're not, that that's dangerous. That That's where I think the line has been crossed um you know yeah. and, and I, I, I think there's oh go ahead go, no go ahead yeah i, I was gonna say like I, I i think you can agree on one level or you know or even have the opinion which i do that america is like you know uniquely that american exceptionalism or whatever that there's a lot of things about america that make them unique and and great on the world stage but i think there's a fine line between that 
and like the God ordained type view that, you know, this is a country that was prophesized about in the Bible. And then there's all these things that God is going to use America to fulfill that that's, that's when you start going down that dangerous road of stuff that, you know, America can do no wrong type thing. Right. And yeah, that's when, that's when yielding the sword doesn't have consequences. Right. Yeah. Well, I've often wondered, I mean, why people wouldn't think if we are part of the chosen land, right? If we're part of, of this set aside group, part of that came with the command that if you're, you're blessed to be a blessing, right? And we miss that sometimes. Like we want to claim one part of that, but not the other, you know, and the saying that to much given is to those who are much are given much is expected. We have to take that on too. Yeah. Um, If, if we think we're Israel, then why aren't we following the rules on the foreigner? Right. And my goodness, if we think we're Israel, which we're not, but if we think we are, then even in the old Testament, Israel gets in a lot of trouble and does a lot of things wrong. Like God is, um, uh, always bringing them back to him because he has to. So like, uh, as a chosen people, like there's a lot of responsibility in there and there's a lot of ways you can go wrong that other people can't. So even if you believe that you should believe that, you know, we should be very careful with the power that we're given. So kind of circling back to what we were talking about in the beginning about kind of where we were. Do you think the fact that this is the 20th anniversary and this may just be me experiencing this again, but I feel like there's more of a sadness, like for years, there was this real patriotic, like 9-11 was like our second 4th of July. You know, I just, I don't feel that way this year. And I don't know if maybe it's because of the division. I just feel this overwhelming sense of sadness this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think it has changed for me as well from being something that, you know, you remember as a, as a patriotic unif- unifying event to now seeing it as look, look at how much how it changed America really in a lot of ways for the worse. You know, we are so fear driven now as as a nation, we are so divided as a nation. And, and I feel like a lot of the divisions came post that unification, right? So it was like, we, we, we unified, we, we swung way to one side on unification. Then we swung back and we're just stuck in a division. Yeah. I definitely think that, the rise of the 24-7 news cycle hit about the time that protests were occurring about the war. And so it really, Amen. it really, really pushed this polarization. I mean, I don't care what armed conflict there has been, there have been protests for it. And we've watched this. I mean, we are a military family and we, we've had generations of people in the military. So we've known about that. I think people who didn't have military you know, they didn't have loved ones in the military, didn't always realize the type of um, protests that happened. I mean, at Y-12, which I said where Aaron's dad worked, which we still don't know what he did there. um, There were protests like all the time, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just like a constant protest, but it was that rise in the cycle, the news cycle that just really drove people to take up sides, I think. Um, and yeah, there was just- and there was a, a lot of anti-Bush sentiment that was going on 
during that time. And I think that's why Obama really won by a landslide in 2008. It was anti-Bush. And I even fell into that category. By 2008, I was way anti-Bush. I still would have, I still would have run through a brick wall for that man. Yeah. Like, I mean, now when I hear him talk and I I don't know if you've had a chance to read his memoirs about that day um, or just his memoirs, it's worth reading. Like, I can't imagine, I mean, just the little bit of leadership I've had in helping churches go through, through trauma, um, ministries work through grief, the weight on your shoulders. I cannot imagine the pressure that he felt. Um, and I still feel like he handled the whole situation with grace. Um, yeah, yeah, I have uh, a decision points uh, book, his autobiography. There's an yes. audiobook version of it where he reads it too. Yes. Oh, man, oh my gosh. Sucks. And his voice cracks and stuff when he's yeah. reading it. And yeah. he t- I mean, the part where he talks about reading to the kids and having them come oh, in man. and whisper in his ear, and he continues on with the kids because he didn't want to, he wanted to give them that last little bit of innocence. I mean, Lord, just slay me right there. Like, yeah, he, he definitely like lays out his thinking and it feels like, I mean, obviously like somebody can make it up, but it feels legit to me. Maybe I'm being taken for, but you know, it feels like he's really laying his heart out. On, but like, it what matched he his for. actions during that time. And yeah. I don't, I don't care how good of a politician you are. I don't think you could have masked what was happening during that time. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he does get most of the, the credit or blame for the two wars, right? But everybody, if you had polled everybody, it would probably be 90% everybody wanting to go to war, right? Well, I mean, you they know, including did. Myself. Afghanistan was at one vote no in the House. Right, like the, one. And that's the House. So, yeah, one. All the Senate and all one Everybody vote no wanted to go to war. Yeah. Most that. So, so you know, I, I think, you know, the whole the buck stops here. I mean, I think he gets a lot of the blame and a lot of the credit and we have a lot of armchair quarterbacking going on. And the whole saying, I mean, I'm just full of cliches tonight, but hot hindsight's 2020. I mean, I really think comes to play here. Had we, you know, people are saying, well, we should have done this, but they know how it ended or how it did. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's really easy to point back and say, well, I would have done this knowing what has happened, but using the information that we had I also sometimes forget that we didn't have the surveillance. We didn't have the tools that we have now then, you know, for good or for bad. I mean, I can remember flying when you got to go look at the cockpit <laughs> and meet the pilots. I mean, you know, so a lot has changed. That is one thing. Yeah. I do remember flying for the first time after 9-11. And then um, on a business trip, I actually was flying home on 9-11, not, an anniversary of 9-11 and you want to talk about somber and hot insecurity it was crazy going through the airports on september the 11th um but i don't know i I do think that he gets a lot of armchair quarterbacking and stuff and right yeah i heard somebody put it the way that you know causation isn't always like apparent but if you would have told everybody on september 12th that you know we're going to be at war for 20 years but we won't have any major terrorist attacks on the U.S. for the next 20 years as well. I don't think there's a person in the U.S. that wouldn't have took that deal. I don't know if that's necessarily related and that's why that didn't happen, but if if, if you could have 
told that to people, people would have took that. But I do think that the end of the wars now, both Iraq and Afghanistan, is why it kind of takes on a different tone, especially mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. With, it, with it being that close in proximity, that it, it's a lot more reflective rather than, you know, promoting action. Yep. That's a good point. And I will say that the a big bright spot for me and, you know, maybe gained quite a bit of respect for Bush during the Trump administration when him and Michelle Obama was, you know, shown in public. BFFs. BFFs, basically. Just because it was so divided, you know, during that time, and to see polar opposites on the political spectrum being really friendly and look like best friends, you know. So, have you read her memoirs? <laughs> no, <laughs> so can, I have not. I do want to tell. It, so. Can you tell uh, what I like to, to read? You read a lot of memoirs. <laughs> I do read and historical doc- things. So I like read Winston Churchill's things and all this kind of stuff, but. Um, that is a genuine friendship. I mean, and I just, I think it's totally awesome. Well, um, an, a, another friendship that is the Bushes and the Clintons, mm-hmm. specifically Bill. Like, I think he, he said that like uh, George H. Bush, H.W. Bush was like a father to him. Right. So it, it I wish we could get back to the point where politics did not divide us to where we see each other as enemies. And th- I think those are good examples. The Clintons well, and the Bushes are good examples. And I think 9-11 is a time for us to think about what it means to have an enemy. I mean, I think we throw the word enemy around all the time and we don't really understand what that means. I mean, we mean it for somebody who doesn't like us or somebody who's petty to us or whoever's cut us off coming up the exit ramp or on ramp, which is one of my road rage pet peeves. But um we don't really think about what it means to be an enemy. When when Jesus says pray for your enemies, he's not talking about the person that you have a disagreement with. He's talking about people who want to harm you. You know, and um and, and that's yeah, just, I mean, they uh, were talking about Rome at the time, praying for the leaders of Rome when they were literally killing persecute. Yes, yes. So I often, you know, I wish because I've journaled throughout my life at different times, and I wasn't journaling during that time, and I really wish I had it because I would have loved to gone back, and maybe I would have been mortified and horrified at what I had written because I, I also oftentimes will write my prayers out and I wonder what my prayers would have been. Would it, would I have been praying for my enemy? Like let us find them so we can kill them all. Or would I, you know, what, what does it mean to pray for your enemy? Like, how do you pray for someone who really intends harm for you? Um, I don't know. It's just a tough question to answer. It is probably more tough than time we have tonight. We've talked a while, so I think we can conclude there. But this was really good reflection. I knew it would be. You know, 9-11, every year I go through a phase where leading up to 9-11, I'm watching documentaries and things. And I even went through a couple of years where I was watching some of the conspiracy theories on 9-11, which I wouldn't suggest Was it Loose that, Change or something that was that YouTube video that was out I, forever? Yeah, I yeah. watched that for sure. <laughs> but I wouldn't suggest anyone do that. Please don't. But, no. no, please, please don't. And we are know. not recommending that. Just no. FYI. No. 
Definitely not. We are no. not conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Definitely At not. least about this. No, that for me, there's there's two days that kind of like, uh, you know, shape me that I remember every single year. It's uh, 9-11 and the 416 Virginia Tech shooting. Mm. I was in yeah, yeah. the building next door. That, but both of those, like to me, every, leading up to it every every year are about the, the only two events in my life that I feel like that every single year it, it, it hits me pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's good to reflect. You know, it's good to pray about these things. We should still be praying for, you know, the families that lost yeah. their loved ones on 9-11. You know, it, it, I'm sure they're not over it. <laughs> you know, you don't no, get over those I things. Too, I mean, there's a lot of trauma in a lot of families that have suffered at, that weren't victims of the actual 9-11 attack, but the wars that have happened, yeah. the, the trauma that the, I mean, unless you have sat with someone as they have recounted stuff like that you you don't and i don't even know then you understand the depth of that right um but there's that too i mean so you know we talk about primary victims and secondary victims that i mean it's yeah. just this is one of those things where the ripple effect we are still feeling the ripple effect yeah we are i i, I saw an article in the new york times a couple of days ago that was talking about that there was over a thousand victims that had still not, never been identified and so you think about those a thousand families that never had like the full closure that people get by, you know, able to have a funeral and know for sure where their loved one was at. That's, that's crazy. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. So yeah, we, we should definitely be in prayer for those families be in prayer for all the, uh, all of our veterans that have served in these wars and are still feeling the effects from them who have died and their families are suffering because of that be in prayer for America, you know, post 9-11, because I think it has changed everything about America, and a lot of it is for the worse, so we need to, we, we need to heal. Eventually, we need to heal, and that's the thing. We're, we, we, we need to mourn, and we need to heal, and I think when we, when we do that, we can get past some of these divisions and maybe start seeing each other as neighbors, and, you know, that's my prayer. Peace be to you. Have a good night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope you got some enjoyment out of the podcast this week. Remember to check out our website, www.appalachianliturgy.com, and follow us on all of our social medias. If you want an easy way to support us, though, make sure to subscribe to our channels and like our videos on YouTube. Also, join our email list for updates and let us know how we're doing. See you next week, everyone. Published Literature Podcast is a JRS Studios production.